to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. With me today, I have John Davies, behavioral science expert and founder of Leafyard. Over the past 15 years, John has co-founded a series of successful startups with his business partner, Phil, using his expertise in behavioral science. John has achieved success time and time again with a simple understanding. By paying close attention to the way people work, we can react to the latest societal changes. His business, Disquette, is using this understanding to develop software solutions that change things for the better. That's everything we're about here at the Wellbeing Rebellion and Aurora. Their latest product, Leafyard, uses behavioral science to motivate people to take control of their mental health. It is now being used by companies across the globe to help improve employee well-being. It is great to have John with me today. He is a wealth of knowledge on people, understanding what makes us tick. And he's truly living with intention, honesty and authenticity. So often we can know what the right thing to do is. We can even want to do that right thing and say to ourselves, yeah, I know I'm going to look after my mental well-being. I need to. But then we just don't put these thoughts and feelings into action. So join me in this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion to find out why we don't do the things we know that we should and how we can change all that. Hi, John. Thanks for joining us here on the Wellbeing Rebellion. Thank you for having me, Angazi. I mean, it's a great pleasure. I'm a fan of the show. Yeah. Uh, when I first learned about it, I'm the kind of person who will listen to every episode, and that's what I've done. <laughs> um, so I would advise any of your listeners to do exactly the same, to be honest. I think it's a fantastic thing you've got going on and should be very proud. You know, it's Thank hot. You. most podcasts don't go past the first episode. So to get where you've got at this point in time, I think it is testament to you and your team. So, yeah, well done. I'll bung you a fiver later. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> In this current climate. Well, now that we've got all the embarrassing introductions out of the way, tell us a little bit more about Leafyard and why you're so passionate about action being yeah. so imperative in the well-being world. So our background, we have, we have quite a strange background, to be honest, as with everything associated with me and my organisation, there are strange backstories and uh, digressions throughout it. I mean, the, the the shortest version really is our speciality is behavioural science, which is the fine art of understanding how and why people act rather than the way they actually say they act. Um, well, say that again. The, the fine art of understanding how and why people act rather than what why what they say they act. Yeah, so there's a great example which I always give, which is... I'm old enough to remember the Sony Walkman, and I'm sure many of your listeners... Oh, I do as well. Right. So when the Sony Walkman first came out in 1979, you could only buy it in silver and blue. That was the only colour you could buy it in when it came out. And Sony expected to sell 200,000 Sony Walkmans. And in the end, they ended up selling 200 million. It was an enormous success. 
But by 1981-82, Sony had begun to see the sales curve flattening out. People weren't buying as many Sony Walkmans as they used to. So they set up this innovation group and said, what can we do to change the Walkman in order to get more people to buy it and we can continue on our stratospheric success? So one bright spark in the office said, I know, why don't we make them in different colours? We can make green ones and blue ones and people will be able to buy them to match their outfit. People will have more choice. Maybe we can keep things going in that regard. And the head man went, great idea, let's do that. He said, but before we start making all the Walkmans in all these different colours, let's do a focus group. So they got a focus group together of members of the public and they showed them all of the different coloured Sony Walkmans that they were about to release. And it was a resounding success. Everyone in the focus group said, this is amazing. I'd be able to buy one for me, Auntie, because their favourite colour is pink. Or I'd be able to buy a blue one to suit my mood. And people came up with all different reasons as to why a different coloured Walkman would be a great idea. So it got to the end of the focus group and the guy who was running the focus group said to everyone, thank you very much for taking part. As our gift to you, you can choose any coloured Walkman to take home with you uh, as our gift to you. And 100% of the focus group chose the blue and silver one. (laughs) So despite what we say, when it actually comes to decision time and choice time, it's often very, very different. Mm. And what behavioral science tries to do is to measure that gap, tries to understand why do we act in the ways that we do. And more importantly, what can we do to change people's behaviors and change people's habits with the sole aim of making society a better place? Now, one of the problems with behavioral science in 2023 is its main use is like big social media companies trying to get you to buy things that you don't need in the middle of the night. Mm. It's moved from this amazingly altruistic idea of let's make the world a better place. And you know what? It has made the world a better place. It's changed how we interface with education systems, how we book doctor's appointments, how we travel through cities. It's an amazing tool, but it's been kind of hijacked by Western capitalism and used to extract pounds and pence out of us in the main. So our background really in behavioral science was, can we redress that balance and really begin our our plan um, as as a behavioral science team was, can we begin to redress that balance and build systems and solutions that really try and take back that ideal? Can we change society? Can we do different things in different ways? So we've built businesses in education we're heavily involved in green and sustainability issues where we consult with massive car manufacturers on why nobody likes electric vehicles and changing habits and opinions and thoughts about things and probably our biggest claim to fame really was we solved a massive uk banking fraud problem so the banking world was losing three million quid a day to this particular fraud and they tried to solve the problem with technology alone and the problem just wouldn't go away so I think maybe out of desperation, they came to see us in Liverpool, a tiny little team, and said, can you take a look at this problem and see if there's a different way of solving it? So we changed some processes, put a little bit of technology in place, and we reduced that fraud to zero. So at that point in time, it was seen as a victory for humankind, the idea that if we just understand each other a bit better, we can solve problems without relying on technology all the time. Um, and since then, we've kind of bobbled about and gone from strength to strength dealing with some really interesting problems and you know trying to make the world a little bit of a better place in in whatever way we can and that's exactly why when i heard you speak at that pro manchester event i knew you were my kind of peeps 
because it is a you 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 specialize in my favorite topic of them all which is people i find mm -hmm. them so fascinating endlessly fascinating i think it's the one subject i will never tire of is trying to understand human nature why we do things how we do things i love that and two because you're using it for good yeah i mean that this so you know kind of just the first time i met you was at a professional manchester event and obviously i if you're interested in people you look at people and look at around around the room and it was very obvious to me how l little people wanted to talk to me and how many people wanted to talk to you <laughs> but there's a difference between understanding people and actual social skills and you know holding an audience and communication and stuff like that there's a gap there too so it's about understanding all of that and saying right how can we make sense of this and what can we do to make things better or different and different's good too it doesn't have to be better oh, all different, time. different is absolutely good and i i will always try to celebrate my differences and those of others champion them because i'm part of that uh i i think crazy different world of neurodiverse people and i just think differently so i i love different um and what makes leafyard different then from all the other well-being companies that seem to be springing up trying to steal our thunder john yeah so uh what makes it different i suppose is fundamentally we shouldn't be in this space whatsoever right so if you take it from a standing start that we're not clinicians or therapists or you know we don't teach leadership or we don't do any of these things if you make that as a base assumption what that then allows you to do is to do some research and look around the world and almost take a fresh view right mm -hmm. because if we were a team of clinicians we would create a very different solution than the one that we actually came up with in leafyard so what we did was in order to start with that blank piece of paper we kind of asked ourselves two questions and the first question was what are the things that work to make you feel better you know from a clinical white paper proven science perspective what's the stuff that makes you feel good and what, what we, are they what are they yeah so because obviously there's people who tell you hugging a tree makes you feel better you know we wanted to know really from a research perspective what's proven okay not what people talk about or try and sell you the latest magical powder on social media or whatever we wanted to know what is the proven stuff that makes you feel better mm -hmm. and what we discovered as part of that research is the stuff that makes you feel better is the stuff that deep down we all know makes you feel better so it's get the right amount of sleep have a good relationship with your thoughts and feelings do a bit of exercise uh, work on your social relationships with friends family members wider so social groups co-workers don't be drinking a bottle of wine a night you know all of the things that we know deep down mm -hmm. make you feel good from a scientifically proven perspective, do work. But when you answer that question, you have to ask yourself a second question, which is, if we know all this stuff works, mm -hmm. why does the problem appear to be getting worse? Yeah. Why is the problem not going away? And the answer is a behavioral science answer. The answer is nobody does any of the things <laughs> that science says works to make you feel better. We just don't do them. We stare at our phones. We don't do them. We just don't do them. And another great example I can give you of that is on a bookshelf behind me, I've got about 20 self-help books that I've bought 
I've read every single one and thought every single one was going to change my life. And then I didn't do a single thing that was in any of the books. And I'm sure I, can... I know lots of people listening can empathize with that. Absolutely. And feel a bit guilty too, because I'm the same. Well, so we shouldn't feel guilty because our biology and chemistry makes us that way. Ah, it's not our fault. Not our fault, you see. It's damn evolutions, you know, it's where we came from how we evolved as a species is a large proportion of the things that drive us and make us do what we do so, um, so why does it make us self-sabotage if we know we're not feeling great and the thing that would make us feel better is get out do some exercise yeah. why do we go oh i could order a takeaway yeah so if, this beer. Mm. the answer is habit the answer is habit so there's a great saying which is if you don't make habits, habits make you. Mm. It's really interesting. You know, if you want to create new habits and invoke change, you've got to do it. You've got to do the doing. You can't read the book and expect the book to do it. You have to do the stuff. We, we always find great uh, interest in the fact that nobody would dream about running into a gym, a physical gym, lift weights for three hours and then go, right, I've finished that now. I'm done. What people understand is some things take time. Mm -hmm. Yet when it comes to things like change and changing ourselves, we expect to click our fingers, you know, read a blog post and suddenly our lives are completely different. And it's not like that. And, you know, we only have to look at if you want to learn to play the guitar or learn a foreign language, you've got to do a lot of it over a long period of time to get good at it. Now, with any of these self-care tools that we know work, You've got to get good at them. And the way that you get good at them is through plain old repetition, doing things again and again till you get really good at it. So that's why we don't do it, because when people put new ideas on the table, unless there's something fundamentally evolutionary, biologically in it for you today, you ain't going to do it. You're not going to do it. Mm. So we have to create habits. We have to create routines. We have to attach new habits to old habits. We have to create this uh mini framework for success that's mm. how you do it and you know as a person who runs leafyard which is about habit change and mental health and well-being i'm exactly the same as everyone else you know i don't do the things that make you feel better but what leafyard does do is remind you that if there was ever a change that you wanted to make if you ever wanted to start now doing something different leafyard gives you the ability to do that um, and probably, you know, we're, we're absolutely shameless in saying we've stolen every single idea that's in Leafyard has come from somewhere else that's more successful than we are. No, and you're standing on the shoulders of giants. You're not so, stealing. It's a compliment. That's how we justify it to ourselves. But the reality <laughs> is, is we, we are just stealing it. Um, you know, we only have to look at like modern public health in innovations like Couch to 5K. I mean, yeah. Couch to 5K, what an enormous success that I, is. It, it, I swear, I was someone who swore she would never run yeah and then when i was pushed into doing it due to some unfortunate lockdown circumstances i did the couch to 5k i'm still running three years later right so why is that it's because couch to 5k removed any excuse that you had about doing anything about it it said yeah. we're going running tuesday get your shoes on we're going and you make that little framework of commitment going into the future means you do it so we've taken that idea 
And that's what Leafyard does. It delivers everything that science says works to make you feel better, but delivers it in short, sharp interventions that over time add up to a greater idea. Same way Couch to 5K does. So Couch- how? Is it an oh. app? So is it an app? So obviously there's technology involved, but we call it a journey, which is, seems like a very hippy-dippy way it of does a little bit. saying things. But what it implies is that, you know, where you start is is not where you finish. It mm-hmm. takes time. So on average, it takes a user about 18 months to do a single lap through LeafYard. It takes a long time. Okay. So it's a commitment. It's a commitment, yeah, but it does help you stick to that commitment. So there's a great technique in behavioral science called nudges, which probably lots of people will have heard of. Uh, A good example is like when you look at Apple watches, you can set them so they remind you to get up and stretch every hour or get your 10,000 steps in. These are little reminders of saying, you've only got another kind of 10 minutes of walking to do and you'll hit your goals for today. These are very coercive techniques. So we do exactly the same thing. Again, stolen shamelessly from many areas of society. Um, And it makes you... Or it doesn't make you do anything because you can only do what you want to do, right? But if you choose to make a change in your life, it facilitates making that change easier. There's a great joke in, um, or not a great joke, an old joke in psychology, which is how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is, it doesn't matter as many as you want. The light bulb's got to want to change itself. Right. You know, at the end of the day, people have got to want to change in some meaningful way. What Leafyard tries to do is to remove any excuse that you've got from getting up in the morning, putting your shoes on and getting cracking. So moving this into an organisational um, well-being realm, arena, what what can companies do to encourage their employees then to accept the nudge, get up, do the things every day? How can they help? So it's this idea of creating context, and that context is if you felt as though you needed to make a change or wanted to make a change, would you even know what to do? That's a really interesting question because a lot of time people in our space, in your space, in my space, we say, oh, you know, ring your EAP or speak to your private health or make an appointment with your GP or something like that. And we drastically underestimate how much of a pivotal personal step that is for someone to actually pick up the phone and make an appointment with a gp it's enormous and we as an industry just go oh yeah you just got you've got an eap ring the eap you know all corporates have got an eap pick the phone up so subsequently what happens is there's a great report that i urge everyone to read that comes out every year by the consultant firm deloitte and what they do is they work out what are the financial implications of mental poor mental health and mental fitness within business and what they worked out was it's really seductive to look at the end game of mental fitness as what the problem is which is people leaving the job or people going off sick for 100 days and saying that's where the problem is that is not where the problem is 80 percent of the financial cost of poor mental health in the workplace are the people who are rocking up to work every day on two hours sleep, who are stressed a bit and who will never, ever in a million years put the hand up, who will never ask for help. Mm-hmm. And that's presenteeism in a nutshell. That's what it is. People who are just struggling and suffering. So what enterprise has to do is recognise that that's a real thing and put interventions in place that 
help people because an EAP is, you know, an amazingly supportive solution. And I, you know, I've got friends who've been through bereavements of parents and things like that. And the EAP has sorted them out, right? The six sessions of access to a therapist that has come via their corporate benefits platform or whatever has fixed them and made their lives better. And that's fantastic. But you can't underestimate the large majority, overwhelming majority of people who will never pick the phone up and they will just struggle and suffer. So beyond that point, sorry, please forgive me and tell me if I talk too much. I couldn't walk on about this stuff. Like I said before, your voice is like caramel. So just keep talking. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, my daughter tells me to shut up all the time, so I can't agree. Well, that's kids for you. (laughs) Ungrateful people. um, Yeah, so it it then becomes a different question and answer to me. It becomes different, right, which is, again, tell me if I'm going off topic here. But it becomes something about morality then. It becomes about if you knew that you could help someone mm-hmm. and it was within your power to help someone, should you do it? Are you obliged to do it? Right? That's a big question. And it, uh, yeah. So there was a, or there is, he's still around now, an um, Australian philosopher called Peter Singer, who in the early 70s wrote a paper which was really controversial at the time and is really famous in these circles. And it was called Famine, Affluence and Morality, it's called. And basically what he, what Peter Singer put forward was this idea that in the Western world, we are fundamentally evil people from a moral perspective. So you, me, your nan, everyone are bad. Just people. in the Western world. So there's a reason that we'll come on to as to okay. why. And it's to do with affluence. It's to do mm. with having more resources than other parts of the world. And what Peter Singer said was that if you're in your ability and you know something bad is going on, are you should you do something about it or should you just turn a blind eye? So what he said was he came up with this example, this pretend idea to communicate this. So imagine you're walking to the office this morning, right? And you walk past a duck pond on the way to work and there's a kid drowning in the pool right Mm -hmm. are you morally obliged to save the kid yes you are right yeah the downside of it though is that you get your shoes dirty by going in the pond and saving the kid this is what peter singer said okay so you carry on to the office and you get to the office what you don't save the child so you, you can choose can't you to save the child or not save the child yeah so imagine when you get to the office yeah so you get into the office and you say, I walk past this duck pond and there was a kid drowning in the duck pond and everyone went, oh, and what happened after you saved them? And you went, oh, I didn't save them. I didn't want to get my shoes dirty. Everyone would think you were a monster, right? So we are, so we are morally obliged to do something about it. Yeah. So what Peter Singer said was, we know that misfortune exists in all corners of the world, famine, war, everywhere we know things are going on yet we spend our spare money on coffee and expensive shoes we know these bad things are going on yet we choose to do nothing about it that was his basic premise and what's amazing about the paper is he dismantles every argument that you could have about not doing something about it so you could say what difference is that going to make yeah exactly so you're 
the, the great example, every example he gives comes back to this duck pond idea. So he says, imagine that the kid is pretending to drown, right? But you don't know that. Mm-hmm. Should you still try and save him? Because you don't know whether you're actually doing any good then. You'd still save him because you can't yeah. risk, right? So you could say people are very cynical at charities. Do you know that the money that you give to charities actually goes there? Well, can you take that risk? It's uncertain whether yeah. it so he says, morally, you would still have to save the kids in the duck pond. So morally, you still have to give money to charity. Oh, this, this sounds like a genius paper. I've got to we'll put, try and find the links to it and put it it's in the show. It's really controversial because he said, he continues the ideas of saying that, imagine there's a policeman and a fireman standing around the duck pond watching the kid drown. And the fireman and the policeman both said, we're not doing anything about it. Should you still jump in and save the kids? And the answer is yes. So what that indicates is, Sometimes we think, oh, well, other people are given to charity, so we don't have to. Yeah. It's a really, really clever piece of work. So what I'm saying about this at the end of the day, lots of these things become about morality because if you're a business that's making really good money, should you give it all to the shareholders or should you invest in the workers to make their lives a little bit better? Are you, more importantly, morally obliged to do so? Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting question, I think. Now, the answer might be, no, because capitalism is what it is, and it's about mm. making money, and we've all signed up to capitalism, like it or not. Um, that's the way it is. But it's a really interesting thing to begin to think of organisations that ex- I would I would urge everyone who's the f- listening to this to go back and listen to the um, the wellbeing washing uh, issue uh, of the podcast, your podcast that you did. Thank you. Sorry. We'll put the link to that again. Yeah, um, because there are. I would say the large, uh, I'm, I'm prone to saying things that I can't actually back up, but <laughs> a large majority of organizations have put in interventions in place in order to say that they put interventions in place. I know that to be a fact. Right. I'm sorry. Um, I also am prone to hyperbole, but I believe this is true. And yeah, that's why we are both of us working in this area, right? Yeah, absolutely. So. But- but there's something you said. You said um, that sh- organisations, should they invest some of their profits into supporting the well-being and welfare of their very hardworking staff because it's the right thing to do? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that debate. I, I was just say, thinking the other day, we, we still still think of it as in, term, in terms of, either or Mm. it's either we support our employees and lose some of that juicy profit but we make their lives better or we get rich and die trying yeah and i'm like it's not it's not either or it's and it that's what the data actually shows is that the companies who do invest in employee welfare making their workforce more productive by default, because they're not doing that presenteeism that accounts for eighty percent of the cost, yeah. then they will be more profitable. Absolutely, blah, 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 blah. you know, and uh, like you say, the numbers back it up again and again and again. So, the latest figures show that it costs between fifty and two hundred percent of a person's wage to replace them when they leave. Mm-hmm. Right, that's something that the businesses need to understand. It's an expensive do when people leave because they can't hack it anymore. You know, it's really a bad show. The World Health Organization, 
say that for every pound you, that you spend on employee well-being, you get five pound in return in terms of ROI. Yep. And these are not like fake numbers. These are real, real numbers that, you know, I mean, I've, hopefully people who listen to this will understand how expensive it is in 2023 to get recruitment consultants involved and actually find good people. It's a really expensive do, right? And what is the point of spending that money on finding people if at the at the other end you're not stopping people leaving because they feel valued and want to do meaningful work? Well, that's why we're in the situation we have right now where human resources departments are kind of chasing their tail, trying to make sure that the the workforce has a degree of stability that there are there are people to do the roles that are required and uh they don't have the for the time to focus on actually let's fix the culture i was thinking this today when i was listening to an episode of uh the podcast where i said um people talk about pipeline pipeline and that there's a pipeline issue and this is a completely separate thing but i was thinking why when we talk about pipeline issues or recruitment or people issues in general, why are we talking as if the solution lies in fixing the oil, mm. i.e. the people, mm. where when the solution lies in fixing the broken pipe, right, and that represents the system mm. that the people are in. And that's, I think, a much more important thing for organisations to be thinking about is what is breaking our people even if it's got nothing to do with us, what is breaking our people and how can we keep the integrity of this pipeline so we don't lose them? Yeah, I mean, it's a, at the end of the day, it's a difficult, difficult thing to solve, isn't it? I always say that because it's so easy for people in our space to say, oh, well, if you send, spend the money on, give me the money, I'll sort the problem out for you. And <laughs> life's not like that. It's a lot more complicated. And particularly when you look at HR departments being demonized, is maybe is a good good word, or being, I've got a friend who calls the HR department the business prevention unit, which is quite an no, interesting. Yeah, and I, I know that's how it, it, it typically was viewed and still is by many employees. But now that I work with them, I know that's just far from the case. It's a tough old job. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And they do it with the best of intentions yeah but they are so underfunded under resourced and uh, not respected enough so they're not given a a, enough of the help that they need or listened to when they they require some more assistance but anyway you were saying no you're you're absolutely right and that's partly why we as an organization changed the target we changed the target to be the cfo to be the finance people I like that. And so the reason we changed it to that is because if we can talk about the ROI and we can prove the ROI of these interventions work, as we can all day long, why are things not getting transformed at a pace that we expect them to transform? And the the honest answer to that question is because I, we, Leafyard, you, your business, your podcast, we don't talk in the language of the CFO. We don't frame the problems and the solutions within a language that people whose job it is to pay for paper clips and mm-hmm. fire extinguishers to see the value in what we're doing. We don't do that. A lot of us, you know, we 
paint this hippy dippy idea of hey everyone's happy and work smiling faces and stuff like that meanwhile the cfo is wondering how he's going to afford the wage bill because customers aren't paying on time Mm -hmm. so we have to redress our our thought processes as providers and say okay what can we really do if they are that's where the blocker is then how do we communicate better to those people because at the end of the day you know what are we all in this for it's to help people feel a bit better than they felt yesterday Mm-hmm. what's the point in having these tools and services around if no one's prepared to pay for them because they don't think they work or it's not value for money or I've got, got to buy more paper clips. That's a failing on our behalf that we yeah. don't communicate it as good as, as we can do. We we run a, a round table called Quantifying Happiness, which is all about getting um, the HR who are often the ones tasked with bringing employee well-being solutions to the workforce, getting them to to understand just that fact that you have to appeal to people who are looking at the hard metrics, mm-hmm. um, who want to see a reasonable return for the investment, who want to know that that spending this money on the nice stuff actually will generate increased profit. Yeah. But the good news is it is it does, and yeah. that, that's there. But we just need to, as you say, learn how to communicate more clearly. And also I think the CFO needs to understand a bit more about why he's buying paper clips, why yeah. he's in a role in the first place. So there's a two-way thing. I think there is a, a some responsibility for um, for the whole leadership in the organisation to understand mm. both the hard and the soft. Yeah. I'd be really interested to understand in the you know the work that you do. What what has been the biggest transformation within an organisation that you've worked with, and what caused that transformation to happen? What did mm. you see happening amongst the people? Uh, the thing is, <clears throat> the the biggest transformations come from those who are prepared to do what you were saying and commit for a long period of time. And those companies have seen some significant changes. Mm. Where, for, for me, because I'm one of those hippie, lovey-dovey, whatever we do, I look at the changes and see the changes in the, in the people, in the leadership team. Those yeah are the most significant changes because you get, you go for a, from a company where it seems like things are going okay from the surface, but there are random incidents of issue where that person's not doing so well and this person's got a problem, but it's, it's, all, it's all all right. Yeah. And then you, and then you st- it takes time. It does take time. It takes about five, six months before you start to see the penny drop mm. and they connect the dots. And then it's this whole, once that comes, when once they get that understanding that all of these random incidences are actually connected to how we as a business are communicating mm. in not just talking, but in the targets we set the time we allow for meetings, all of this kind of stuff, then the, then the 
the is it the wheels of the cog start to turn and you see real progress happen and it still takes time but you see real shifts in yeah. right we're going to change the way our company operates for the benefit not just of the employees but of everybody yeah when that happens sometimes in fact i think virtually every time there will be fallout mm. because there will be people who were disenfranchised in the old system even though you're changing your ways you've seen the light they're not going to buy it they leave yeah under a dark cloud and you think but i'm better i'm better that happens mm. but what what also happens is it's it's for the future yeah you have to think so for the present and the future so you may lose some people that you would have lost anyway in fact they were already lost mm. but the people who are there you see a renewed level of commitment you see in, increased productivity and i hate using that word because it sounds so technical oh yes we're just not <laughs> not technical but like cold like all we're into is making sure that you do your you work even harder it's not that but they are able to commit to the company they are happier working and therefore they work better that's the simple bottom line they work they're happier there they will not necessarily spend longer hours but they're able the hours that they are there they are able to produce more yeah and it's it changes these companies then become better places to be and me going back month after month year you know for a period of time you you get a vibe mm. my only issue is that there are so few and far between because most companies are still doing the yes but you know we had this short program and there's a cbt and they, you know they can call the eap and can't you just come and do a talk yeah so we get in terrible trouble every year because we say we're not big believers in mental health awareness day or week because mm -hmm. because of exactly what you've just spoken about you know we put balloons up in reception and have a yoga class of a lunchtime and then we'll all get back to being miserable for every other day of the year exactly it's got to be about lasting change hasn't it yeah and yeah. lasting change like you've said like we've said it's a commitment it's an investment but it pays mm -hmm. and you just need a few brave souls to to do that to, yeah. to commit to that and understand that and know that they'll get benefit from it. Yeah, absolutely. No, really yeah. interesting. Thank you. Um, so I've really enjoyed talking to you. And if I if I was being really selfish, I'd keep talking. But <laughs> I recognise that you actually have a day job to get back. No, it's, talk all day long. That's part of the problem, I think. <laughs> no, I think it's good because to Bob Hoskins said it. It's good to talk. Yeah, it is yeah, actually. It is. <laughs> Very true. I'm old enough to remember that. Um. <laughs> What I wanted to to know is, I'm going to choose my last question wisely. Okay. How can companies create a culture of well-being where employees really feel supported, encouraged, and motivated to prioritize their health and happiness at work? If you could uh, give your top tip or, I don't know, what would be your one pearl of wisdom that would result in a mic drop of epic proportion? Yeah, so what we've seen in terms of the rollout with organizations that we work with is um how in 
and this is in 2023. So this is different to what we saw two years ago. How important authentic leadership is. Mm. Like the boss standing up and saying, look, you know, we all have our bad days. Um, you know, there are times when I need to take time out, when I need to prioritize myself rather than the business and everything else. And, you know, there are tools here out there in the world, podcasts, great podcasts to listen to like this one. Um, you know, where you can facilitate that context and that change and that authentic leadership bit we see working really, really well right now. Um, so I'd suggest to anyone that if you're going to, I mean, it seems so cliche to say that, oh, it needs to be bought in at the very top and stuff like that, because obviously, you know, it has to be, doesn't it? These things don't get yeah, done unless they're bought in at the very top. So yeah. that's a bit of a, you know, a wrong kind of uh, hat peg to hang your hat on. But there's a step between that and leadership actually getting everyone together and saying, I've experienced this in my life and this is what I did to change it. And all I want to do is to give you the same opportunity that if you want to change and feel a bit better, then we're here to support you within that um, journey. And then beyond that, the context piece of on a continual basis, reiterating that message and saying, we are genuinely interested in how you're feeling, your well-being, um, and whether it's today or in six months' time or in two year, years' time, we hope you're still with us, working happily within the organisation. But if you felt bad in two years' time, that you would clearly know what to do if you wanted to feel better. Mm. Um, and in a way that avoids the pitfalls of the presenteeism bit and having to put your hand up, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's what I do, I think. because And the reason I say that's what, I do is because that's what I see working in a really meaningful way. The good news is that I'm seeing a lot more of the um, the media, so the articles and um, the general talk in this area um, of employee well-being is focused on leadership mm. and developing leadership. And I think it's 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 been difficult to be at the top. Um, over the last five years because there there hasn't been as much focus on what leaders need and the support they need in order to to take businesses forward through 2023 and beyond um and it has changed mm. the 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 role of the leader we call it the rise of the new leader because you, you do need a there's a different emphasis on the kinds of skills that you have to cultivate. And you and I know that authenticity matters. It comes more naturally to some people than others. And some people have had it beaten out of them. No, no, no. You, I, I know that's what I, I grew up thinking. I couldn't be my natural, happy, people-focused self if I wanted to be a proper manager. Yeah. I had to be really, you know... I don't want to say cold, but I had to be much tougher, yeah, much the less personable. Yeah, the cliched idea of what a manager or a leader is like. Exactly. Those people are the ones at the top now. And now we're saying, no, 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 you've got to chill, man, loosen up. Why do you need a suit and tie? Yeah, just chill, get down with the kids. It's not going to come that naturally no. 
to to someone like that to say, I'll be honest with you, there are times when I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. Hmm. And there are risks to doing that. Yeah. You know, the stock market's going to listen. So yeah. you, you you have to do it in a in a careful way. However, it the, the numbers don't lie. Yeah. People want genuine. They want they need to know that they are understood. And in order for me to feel understood, I need you to connect with something in you that understands what I'm going through. So yeah. I well think said. that that has to be the uh, you know a big emphasis for organizations going forward is how do you support your leaders to be the kind of leader that the business needs today and tomorrow not yesterday yeah absolutely so we always ask our guests a signature question um and you're a fan of the show so i hope you know the signature question and you've prepared a brilliant answer go on hit me Hit you. Okay. So, John, as a fellow well-being rebel, what is the one change that you would like to see implemented in workplace well-being today? Uh, it'd be that context idea. It's the idea that we don't just reduce it down to a week or a day. No, mm -hmm. it's got to be a system where, because obviously, you know, feel all right today i'm really excited to be on the podcast and talking to you but you know tomorrow the dog might run away or i'll get a flat tire on the bike or something and your mood changes because of that you know we react don't we as animals we react to what's going on in the world and it's providing that context within these organizations that if i was feeling really bad wouldn't know what to do and that'd mm. be it really uh i love that that's brilliant thank you so much um I'm going to share all of John's details about Leafyard because it is brilliant. Um, and I, I'll try and remember to put the show notes for Paul. Peter Singer, I'll, I'll send it to you. Don't Peter worry. Singer, excellent. We'll put all of that in the show notes. And, and just thank you so much, John. I've really enjoyed this episode. No, very kind of you to have me. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues, follow us on LinkedIn, the link will be in the show notes, and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.